The New Testament reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 58. Starting 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. I, Paul, tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Here ends the New Testament reading. Good morning, everyone. When I was in my final year of primary school, after we sat our 11 plus exam in the November, we spent the rest of the year doing projects. And so probably around February, I would say my knowledge on kestrels and other birds of prey was second to none. But one of the other things that we did in that time was watch a lot of films. Now in 1997, that meant that we all headed up to the porter cabin at the top of the field and the teacher would get us all to sit on the floor and then wheel in that massive TV on a massive trolley. And I don't mean massive because the screen was big, I mean massive because it would take about four men to lift. I think she did make us bring paper and pen so that we would make notes and make it seem a little bit more like schoolwork. But anyway, on one occasion we watched a film about Junie Erickson Tada. I don't know if you're familiar with Junie, but when she was 17, she tragically suffered an injury to her spine. It meant that she was paralysed completely from the shoulders down. I was struck by her story. I was struck by her resilience, although I don't imagine that I put it like that whenever I was 11. But I was struck enough that I've remembered her quite clearly and remembered that film quite clearly two and a bit decades later. When you watch videos of Junie being interviewed, you're just struck by her joy. Despite constant pain and ongoing therapy and all the challenges that profound disability brings to her, she's just filled with a, with a joy and a hope. And that hope is because of Jesus. For Junie, it's the fact of Jesus' resurrection that gives her hope. Because you see, Christ's resurrection, well, it means that we can have confidence that there is a life to come when Junie will leave behind her frailty and her disability. All the pain and suffering that she endures now will be gone. 
because Christ's resurrection, together with the promise of a new creation and a new body, well, that gives her hope. Paul puts it so simply in verse 51 when he says, we shall all be changed. Let me pray for us before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray that now as we, as we dwell on it, that your spirit would challenge us and change us and equip us all the more for your service. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've not got a Bible in front of you, you might want to pick one up um, and turn to 1 Corinthians 15 again. Let me read some of Paul's words to you, beginning in verse 56. Paul writes, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I have found the last couple of months to be quite baffling at times. A real sense of confusion around so much of what is going on. Because every day we're, we're bombarded with new statements and new pieces of guidance, new pieces of advice. New voices shouting for one thing or another. One group saying that we should wear masks, the other group saying that they could be more risky. Some people shouting for schools to open and as quickly as possible, and yet others saying that they simply won't send their children to school even if they do open. It's been confusing. And if you've engaged with the media at all during this time, well, you've had to sift through it and figure out what is fake and what is fact, what is relevant, what's changing, who are we allowed to see, and, and how far do we have to be away from them, and how long can we see them for, and how long can we sit on a park bench, and how far can we travel from our home? As we read through these things online or in the paper or wherever it might be, we have to work out, is this person exaggerating or is this person playing it down? It's confusing. I'm on the leadership team of a school fairly nearby and we've, we've been preparing this week for the potential phased return of more children. And from about last Wednesday, guidance has come thick and fast from all sorts of places. The Department of Education, that one's obvious, the wider, the wider government, other professional bodies, public health, and of course the media speaking into it all. It's felt like a huge task just to keep on top of the barrage of new advice coming out every day. And what, what strikes me in the last week and in the weeks before that, even our experts can't agree. They can't figure out what the next few months are gonna look like and what's gonna happen. And they can't tell us the facts because they don't even agree. And yet, today as we come to this final section in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to see how our present situation, our present circumstances fit in to the wider context, fit into the bigger picture of what's going on around us. Now it goes without saying that I'm not claiming that Paul's writing here is going to tell us how many cases there will be in the UK. Paul's not going to tell us how many people will lose their lives to this virus across the world or how much longer lockdown will last or when last when we will next sit together in our church building. Paul doesn't touch on any of that. But what what he does tell us helps us to see the bigger picture of our lives and where this virus fits in it. Now if you've not if you've missed a couple of Sundays or if you've not um, been with us 
online over the last few weeks, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians 15. You saw a few members of our church telling us things that they've been challenged and encouraged by um, over this past series. Let me encourage you to go back and to watch again or to watch for the first time. You might want to spend this week walking through 1 Corinthians 15 again. It would be a great way to wrap up this series, to be challenged from God's word as he works in us through it. I've got two points this morning and the first is this, our biggest problem. Now don't be alarmed, there is good news to come, but in order to hear the good news, we need to know the bad news first of all. Over the last couple of months, we've all had to change the way we do things. Whether it's how we go about our shopping or how we spend time with family. Maybe it's how you balance a laptop and a child on your knee at the same time. We've had all sorts of problems thrown up. How long should we isolate? How long do we need to be inside? Can you still go out for a walk if you're isolating? For us, just at the point that where we ran out of food in the house, um, our toddler had a soaring temperature and we suddenly were calling on people to lend a hand. The Bible tells us that everything we are facing now is part of a deeper problem and a deeper reality. Look at these words from our reading again. Paul writes, The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. The Bible tells us that our biggest problem is not the coronavirus, but it's sin. This is the reality that we are all living in at the moment, but it's the same reality that we have been in since we were born. And here Paul tells us that the penalty of sin is death. I'm not sure if you've seen that footage that was recorded this week of the lone deer that walked through the deserted centre uh, de center of Newcastle. It seems unbelievable. It's like something from a film. You almost expect to see Will Smith appearing from out of shot, stalking this deer for his next meal. But as far as I know, it, it wasn't a setup and it wasn't made up. It's not fake. Even though it feels unreal, that's been the case with so much over the last few months that it just feels completely surreal, unimaginable that we could be in this position. But the Bible tells us that we are in reality here. And though so much has changed practically for us in recent weeks, we're not actually facing a new reality. This horrific situation has woken us up to see the world for what it really is, to see life for what it really is. A reality that has always been there. For example, uh, this crisis may have reminded you that actually you are, you're in less control than you might have wanted to believe. But that's not new. Or our present circumstances, maybe, maybe like for so many, they're, they're telling you actually that you're not invincible. Or pushing that a bit further, actually, that, that we're all much weaker than we would care to admit. Those realisations, well, they challenge us because, because they pull us off our thrones. Sin means that we have pushed God aside and said that we don't want him to be the king of our life. Instead, we want to set ourselves up as our own kings. But the coronavirus actually reminds us that we're not cut out for that. We can't be God. And globally, we're waking up to a sense of our mortality, and it's uncomfortable. We never like to talk about death. 
We like to shroud it and put it out of our mind, even at the best of times. We like to think about this life. We like to make plans and goals and think about all the things we want to achieve and do. Maybe it's a list, 30 things before you're 30, or 60 new things at 60. Or maybe it's one of those little scratchy maps where you scratch off the places you've been so that you can plan your next trip around the world. Of course, none of those things are bad in themselves. But they can pull our focus onto the things of here and now. And then we stop planning for eternity. We become so focused on all that we want to do here that we forget to consider the life that is to come. We're challenged every day as we listen to the numbers of those who have sadly lost their lives. And I know that some of you will have been impacted much closer to home than others. But death isn't new. Any time in life when we come face to face with the grief of losing someone we love, it stops us in our tracks. And we're filled with that deep sense of, this isn't how it's supposed to be. It challenges us so deeply. You see, the Bible tells us that sin is an infection that we all have. Because we've all pushed God out of our lives and set ourselves up as God. And the penalty for that is death. Physical death and spiritual death in separation from God himself. Coronavirus is a daily reminder to us that the world is not as it should be. And that's because we've deposed God. We've pushed him off his throne. The virus is one of many signs that we live in a broken and fallen world. So our biggest problem is not the coronavirus. Our biggest problem is sin. So moving on and secondly then, my second point is the greatest solution. Now I said I was going to get to the good news and I hope you've been able to stay with me up until this point and that you've not spiralled into a pit of despair because you see this, this news is better than anything we could ever imagine. In response to our biggest problem, Paul writes, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It can't have escaped your notice that the language around coronavirus has been language of war. We're in a fight against an enemy, they tell us. And much has been talked about, much has been said about the Blitz spirit, and we've been called on by even the Queen herself to draw on that British reserve of stoicism and resilience and self-sacrifice. But the Bible tells us that when it comes to our biggest problem, we're not waiting on scientists working round the clock in labs to come up with a vaccine. The Bible tells us that the victory over sin is already won through our Lord Jesus Christ. During the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell was Lord Protector of England and he sentenced a soldier, I'm sure he sentenced many soldiers, but this particular one, he sentenced him to be shot for the crimes that he had committed. The execution was to take place in the evening after the ringing of the curfew bell. But that evening came and the bell never rang. Because you see, the soldier's fiance had climbed up into the belfry and had clung to the clapper of the bell in order to prevent it from striking. Moved by her deep, deep love, she sacrificed. Cromwell 
was astounded by this act and he summoned the girl to before him in order to account for her actions. And she stood before him and wept as she showed him the injuries that her act had inflicted upon her. The bruises on her body, the bleeding from her hands and Cromwell's heart was touched. He said, your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. Cromwell allowed her injuries to pay for the man she loved. And it's just like that with the cross. Jesus died on the cross in our place out of deep love for his creation. He stood as a substitute, taking the penalty that we deserve. He wraps himself around us and takes the sting of death that should have been for us. Jesus, you see, he, he's not infected with sin like we are. He's never pushed God out of his life. He's never pushed God off his throne. He didn't deserve the penalty that he was facing that day on the cross, but he faced it anyway so that we could claim victory over death. The message seemed so clear on that first Good Friday, didn't it? Jesus hung on a cross, defeated, dying in disgrace and buried in a tomb that wasn't even his own. The message was clear, Jesus defeated. But then three days later on that first Easter Sunday morning, the true message of Friday was seen clearly as Jesus rose from the grave and stood victorious over sin and death. It wasn't Jesus that was defeated. Jesus had defeated sin. Paul quotes it in that passage, doesn't he? Death is swallowed up by victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Christ's resurrection from the grave changes everything. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to minimise, even for a second, the great hardships that many of us are facing as a consequence of the coronavirus. Whether those hardships come in the form of grief, despair, fear and anxiety, or financial insecurity, or loneliness, or a mix of all of them, they are real hardships. None of us have avoided the difficulties of this virus. But I want to say that once we see that Jesus is alive, everything changes. So as we, as we face with fear a sense of our mortality, Jesus says that there is eternal life for all who trust in him. Paul says it in verse 51, he says, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Jesus offers eternal life for all who trust in him. If we're facing, or if we're feeling anxiety as we face the future, Jesus says, I am in control even when everything seems out of control. That's one of the great pictures of Easter, isn't it? As he, as he hung on that cross, defeated, his, his disciples fled, they, they ran and hid, they locked themselves in a room fearful that they would be next because it looked like Jesus had lost. And yet three days later we see that he was in control the whole time. The whole event choreographed to perfection. 
Jesus says, I am in control even in the darkest hours. And in the face of loneliness, Jesus says, I am with you right to the end of the age. One day I hope and pray that this virus will be defeated. But you know, the difficulties of this world will remain. Not forever, but they will remain until that glorious day that Paul talked of. That glorious day when the risen Lord Jesus will return. On that day, Paul says the trumpet will sound and in the blink of an eye, all the mess and misery and suffering of this world will be wiped away once and for all. And we will be there in the presence of our risen Lord Jesus. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour today, then some of the things I'm saying might seem far-fetched. But it might just be the time to begin to think about him. It might be the time to investigate a little more about his claims of giving eternal life. His claims that he is with us and that he is in control of all things. At the end of this service, there'll be an email address on the screen that you can use to contact the church. We'd be all too happy to speak with you about what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to put your trust in him. But this morning, if you, if you do know Jesus, we need to ask ourselves, do we, do we live in the light of his risen presence in our lives? When anxiety begins to set in and fear for the future, do we turn to Jesus and trust in his promises? You see, this virus can draw our vision to our biggest problem. But we need to lift our eyes and focus them upon Jesus who has already defeated death and sin and who one day will return to complete his great rescue.